recording live from the official podcast of Randy McCown. It's the Seahawks Nest. Randy, yeah. the little known third McCown brother. Yeah, oh, he played Texas A&M, dude. He's a footballer. And he's 40. I'd still sign him over Jay Cutler. <laughs> yeah, shots fired. Nice. I like it. So uh, we're back again. Another episode of the Seahawks Nest podcast, off-season edition. Uh, we'll, we'll start, as we always do, with some Seahawks news. And we'll start with the biggest piece of Seahawks news. Signing Arthur Brown, backup linebacker from the Ravens. No. That, I mean, that is the that's the most realistic. But no, <laughs> pertinent news, Kevin. Uh, you want big Marshawn news. Sean Lynch is wanted by the Oakland Raiders. This is everyone's fi- the biggest story from this week. Now, do we know? I mean, yeah, this is 95% possible this is true. Has Oakland said anything yet? Uh, no, this is all back room, and Marshawn Lynch has come out and said that basically the media got a hold of this and blew everything up. But this is also Marshawn talking about the media. So, yeah, he's going to say that they're messing everything up. Yeah, so he a lot of people said that he came in and asked for his release. His agent, or he said that he, or the Seahawks said that he came in to kick the tires about something. What What was it? I get the idea that he told them, like, hey, I miss football. And um, I kind of want to come back, and I might want to come back in Oakland. Uh, can you guys help me out? And they said, "Yeah, we'll trade you to Oakland if they come to us with a realistic offer." I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet that's what, that's what happened. There's I no reason for us likely. to release him. No, and I, uh, they'd have, it would end up being something for like a late round pick. Yeah, seventh rounder. I, w- I would take a seventh rounder to if my friend Lawrence wants to play in Oakland. It it looks good for us if we say. Hey, take this seventh round draft pick, which is basically nothing, right? Most NFL teams would give it up in a heartbeat for a running back as good as Marshawn. And they, and we say, it's a show of goodwill. Like, you gave good service to us and you want to play for your hometown team. It'll show other guys that, hey, Seattle's an upstanding organization. You can work with them. They're not going to get nothing in return. You know, they're not going to just bend over, but they'll be fair. You know, they'll be, they'll be just in their, uh, in their dealings with you. And he's being dealt to an AFC team. So yeah. it's not like he's going in division or anything. Yeah, if he was yeah. one of the 49ers, I might feel differently about this. Yeah, sure, but, but like if they give a like a five, six, seven, something like that, that's that's all good. All what good. about uh? Do you think Oakland's going to bite on this, and why haven't they yet? I don't know. It's a comp. It's a complex thing because they'd also have to take all the money if there's anything because uh, it's nine million Seattle's against the cap, right? Five. And as soon as you bring him back, that nine rolls against the cap. So all that has to be played around with in a way that isn't going to gum up the works for either team. So if something is happening, it's complex. But the other thing is, you know, it could have been, you know, Marshawn came in, kicked the tires, kind of said, nah, I'm just going to drive my Lamborghini and I ride camels yeah. and eat Skittles and I'm, I'm, I'm done. It's the right answer it's, for everything. It's definitely possible he came back and said, like, hey... You know, I want to do this, and they were like, eh, and then he was just like, whatever, man, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go back to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, cool. All right. Good for him. Go for, he's out of Dave and Buster's near you. All right. Uh, re- Seahawks signings this week. We had our, a couple re-signings. Luke Wilson is back, and so is Deshaun Shedd. I, that Shedd contract is kind of a, uh, I think it's like a perfect gamble. Like, yes, it's, it's cheap, and if he's good, it gives us a leg up in free agent negotiations, and if he's too hurt, it's not going to kill us at all. The Wilson contract, I think, is bewildering. Uh, three million is way too much for one year of Luke Wilson, but whatever, it, it is what it is. Well, it's one point eight with one million in incentives. I so. mean, he's going to hit the incentive markers unless we cut him. Let me let me ask you guys. The Seahawks obviously like this deal. They they went for it. What do we get out of Luke Wilson? All joking aside, I mean, drop passes, yeah. But what do we what do we get out of Luke Wilson? Above average speed, 
Yeah, he's solid pass catcher, really for a tight end. He's like a homeless man's Jimmy Graham. Yeah, like he's like the he's like the much worse version of Jimmy Graham. I, I think I, this is basically a vote of no confidence for the other tight ends. For from what yeah, I see, yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. Like it means that we're not Brandon Williams is not going to be back. Uh, we can just get over that right now. And then all the other tight ends, like Nick Vanette and Crew, it's just not. They're not. They must not be that good. I want to know what's up with Nick Vanette, Kevin. What was your scout like? Quick scout on Nick Vanette. Uh, Nick Vanette was primarily a blocker in the Ohio State offense. He's kind of an old school tight end when he goes out for passes. He's a bigger guy. He can go across the middle. He's physical. He should be high efficiency as a pass catcher. Um, he's. I actually really like him. He strikes me as like a Heath Miller type. Everything you said sounds wonderful. So is he? I mean, I know you're not at practice, but what's what's the scoop? He doesn't fit the same role that Jimmy Graham does in the offense. If Jimmy gets injured, Luke Wilson does. I think that could be part of it. Which okay. m- So it might be one of those things where they're going, hey, we're going to be investing more in uh, Jimmy Graham's role, so we need that backup just in case because, you know, Graham does get banged up. The other thing is Vanette did get injured last year, and, you know, uh, he's just a second-year player. So, I don't know. I, I do think it says that they don't feel like he's poised to jump out, but I also don't think it feels they're, like they're saying that he's nothing. They're going to let him compete. That's what they do. This is what they do. Yep. I mean, the the thing that makes me frustrated about the Luke Wilson contract is that it seems like, to me, there is some level of financial commitment up front, right? Like, it's not just... We can't if we cut him before the season starts. We're still, yeah, he has we're like still, an eight hundred thousand dollars signing bonus. Yeah, I we're think. still on the hook for like a decent amount of money, which is frustrating to me because I think that if Vanette plays well in the preseason, like the, we shouldn't keep Luke Wilson. There's no reason to have him on the roster. Not at three million. We basically just like used all of our Hauschka money on Luke Wilson. That doesn't feel good. No. Um. So two more. Uh, there's two free agent signings. Let's start with the one that Kevin mentioned before. Uh, the Seahawks signed linebacker Arthur Brown. Uh, Arthur Brown was drafted in the second round by the Ravens. He uh, kind of kicked around the league a little bit uh, between Ravens and Seattle, right? He played for the Jets. Uh, the he played for Jaguars. The Jets for a minute. He was on the Jaguars roster, but I don't think he played. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's seen as a plus special teamer, a guy with a lot of tools, but never has really put it together on the NFL level. Great athlete. Yeah. Uh, it's special teams plus plus. This guy's supposed to be a great special teamer. From the sounds of it, he's basically just Brock Brock Coyle replacement. Yeah, he seems which like, is fine. He seems good. like he might be a better special teamer than Coyle, to be honest with you, though. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Uh, and if you got picked in the second round by the Ravens, you probably have some linebacking pedigree. Maybe there's a chance that you know he has some. He gets in our system and he does a lot better. Oh yeah, I think I think he, he could be a solid role player for sure. Like I think we paid next to nothing. It's a solid pickup. It's a good low buy move that creates you know. Another guy on the roster that's a solid role player. I, I figured he was just a special teams guy, which, you know, that works for us. And the last guy we signed was Ode Abushi, the guard for the Texans. So we did go out and get a guard, even though after we lost out on Lang. Um, so let's, let's, let's approach this in a couple of different ways. Let me just start by breaking down Abushi, uh, on the tape. I watched Abushi tape, uh, because the Texans play his own blocking scheme, just like we do. Mm-hmm. So he's a, so he's a plus plus fit in terms of scheme. Mm-hmm. He knows his role in the scheme. He does not get lost on plays like a lot of our offensive linemen. <laughs> he makes blocks. That's a that's an improvement. So Ode Abushi, I think, is a is a decent player. I I would expect him to compete for a starting guard job. Yeah, um, I I watched after watching him on tape, I agree. I think he is a slightly above average run blocker and possibly a slightly below average pass blocker. 
and there is a chance he could still play tackle. He played tackle in college. He's really tall. He's six foot six. Yeah. Um, I know he's been slotted into guard, but I think both him and Jockel could compete for tackle jobs with how bad we are at tackle. They are not necessarily guards, even though they are both guards last year. On Can I give this you a comparison? Roster. Go ahead. So Odeabushi, after watching video and after reading the scouting reports, so he's got like the 34-inch arms and like uh, 11-inch hands, which is uh, both in the parameters that you look for in a tackle. Watching him on tape, I see Justin Britt at right tackle. He's a little slow. His footwork isn't quite there. And so he's going to really struggle with uh, speed rushers. Yeah, he's he's not great against the pass. He's good against the run uh, in the run game. Though, yes, which is like Brick. So he could be like a mauler right tackle in the run game. So I guess my question to you, Eric, would you have taken Britt at tackle last season over what we got at right tackle last season? This is with a ghost Brit at center, meaning... A, yeah, the, yeah, we don't lose Brit at center, but it's like we cloned him and put him at right tackle again. You know, yeah. The old days. Absolutely, Kevin, yes. Here's, here's my problem with this. I'm not, we'll that's not, I'm not happy about that, but yes. It's I an upgrade. I think Gilliam was starting to play well at left tackle, and then right before the season started, they were like, actually, let's put you at right tackle. And I think that that threw the whole, that was like the first domino that fell that was like really bad. Like, I thought for a guy that, He's got used to playing left tackle. He's been playing left tackle. He's been training to play left tackle. He's never played offensive line before. He's another one of these convert guys. And then all of a sudden, at the very end of the season, actually, we want to go with uh, Soul at left tackle, and you're going to kick out to right tackle. It's like, it's not surprised that it was an unmitigated disaster. I keep forgetting about Soul. Yeah. So I um I don't I actually think Gilliam it has potential to play either tackle position now. I would prefer him at left, though. Honestly, I feel like he was doing better as a left tackle than he did ever did as a right tackle. I think if we go into the season with Jokel at right tackle or at left tackle, someone at right tackle or someone at left tackle and Jokel at right tackle, and we have Gilliam as a swing tackle and Abushi pushing Afedi and Glinski, and one of those I, three I is Abushi a swing would- guard. Abushi would take the guard job from Glowinski today. I don't mean that to be offensive. I just think he's actually pretty good, like in the run game especially. I, I really enjoyed watching his film. Like I, I thought he was solid. I think, I don't know, I watched a lot of Glowinski, and I think if he had someone competent on his left side, I think he could have seen a lot of the same things. But, you know, either way, I think what, what we're saying is we have the potential for three pretty solid guards one of which could be a swing guard. I mean, this is just like filling depth. We're taking these cratering black holes and making them spots on the roster where we could suffer an injury and not immediately go, oh, there goes the game. We have five NFL-level offensive linemen on our team now. Like Jockel, Glowinski, Odeabushi, Britt, and Afedi, I think are all NFL-level Offensive lineman. Yes. I don't functional. Know. The thing that's bad is that none of them are like true great tackles. I don't know where you put anyone outside of Brit like you have. Right. There's definitely going to be some shaking where they're going to have to shake the tree and figure out where everyone fits well. Yeah. It's Brit and Glowinski at positions and everyone else, they have to shake it out. My biggest problem is that, okay, you shake the tree and you try to find where everyone fits. Do I trust Tom Cable to figure out where everyone fits? And my answer to that is a hard no. 
I don't trust him to figure out where everyone fits. I don't think he's that great of an offensive line coach. I bet at the end of the season, we have a great running season because the talent level is so much higher that I think that the running game will, the running game and the running blocking will really benefit. But I would, I would be surprised if our pass blocking wasn't a dumpster fire again. I think if another NFL level, level tackle is uh, found, then we could see some slightly below average pass blocking. Which is an improvement off of last year. Yeah, we're talking like somewhere around 20th in the NFL. Because I think Jokel has shown that he can be a functioning pass blocking left tackle. Right, if we have Ryan Ramsey sitting there at the end of the... Well, I mean, here's the thing. All those ta- all those offensive line, offensive tackle prospects are falling. Yep. Like, every draft board has them now to, to the point where we could pick any of them. Oh, is that we based get, on their ability? Get, Cam Robinson's, like, out of the first round now. So yeah. we can get him if we want. Is that from, like, other, like, cornerbacks jumping just, up? It's the fact that this defense... This... Or, sorry. This draft is really deep in defensive players. Really deep. And, like, really talented. Like, there's good defensive players. So, I mean... And a lot of teams now, they, they've realized, like, it's not worth it to reach for guys that you don't really need. Like, it's be- it'd be better to have a great cornerback than an okay offensive tackle if you actually need an off, even if you need an offensive tackle more. Like, drafting yeah. for need has kind of gone by the wayside, especially in the early rounds. You want to get in the early rounds great players on cheap contracts, five-year contracts that you don't have to pay them a crazy amount of money. And so I think we'll go, we'll, we'll go into this next week a lot more, I think, but, if one of those three ta- three tackles falls, we're talking about a right tackle of the right now and a left tackle of the future. Yeah, or, I mean, and maybe we have to just throw him into the fire and he'll be like a mediocre left tackle right now. But- and I think Ramzik and Bowles could both do that. Right. I think Joko would be a better left tackle than Robinson right now. But let him compete for it. You know? Let him compete for it for sure, exactly. Right. Just- but that does give the roster two actual tackles. Yeah. And I think that's what we really need. And, and like, like I said, the... the- Things are falling. We have three third-round picks. I would not be surprised to see us slam some of those together to get back into the second round and take a defensive player because, like I said, the top-level defensive talent in this draft is incredible. There are going to be players taken at the end of the second at corner that are going to be as defen- good as players that were taken in the first round last year. Defensive end, too. Like, like defensive end, Taco yeah. Taco Charlton is falling out of the first round. Which Taco is Charlton insane. is freaking awesome. Like Taco Charlton is like one of the most exciting defensive players I watched. You've wanted Taco for a long time. Last year, I would love to have Taco Charlton on the Seahawks. Demarcus like, Walker out of Florida State might end up being a third round pick. Just, That's a guy who other years would be going in like the early second, where you'd be going, "Well, the productivity wasn't there, but right. you know, the guy gets to the quarterback." And, you know, well, like, those guys are falling. Guys that like either just counted good stats, uh, but weren't like athletic freaks or are athletic freaks and didn't count good stats. Like, if you're playing defense and that's you, we got no time for you this year. There are guys that produced in a college and are athletic freaks at every defensive position. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of them. A lot of them. I would not be surprised if, like, some of the defensive players taken in the late first and second round were pro bowlers in three years. A bunch of them. Like, this is a great draft for defense. I'm really excited. I'm hoping that we, we end up with, like, Taco Charlton or something like that. Because I would be really pumped to have a player like that on the Seahawks. Yeah, I think there's going to be some defensive tackles and stuff that are going to be in the mix in, like, the third round. A lot of, like, your um, plug-and-play, kind of disruptive, more good in the run game. Like, last year when Jaron Reed fell into our lap, that's a guy who would have gone a lot higher in previous years. Well, you're going to get even more talented players 
yeah. falling even further. Yeah, Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed would go really late in this year's draft. Like he, he would go he, like a full round later. Yeah, and then and he already fell a lot. So yeah, it's just I think it's a really really fun draft, especially if you're looking for defensive talent, which the Seahawks are. The yeah. Seahawks are probably need one more defensive lineman to rotate through the line, and they probably need one cornerback to, and one linebacker. I think they got the linebacker. To be honest with you. I'm not 100% sure we need another linebacker now. Well, who do they have? They, right now they have, we have Bobby, KJ, uh, Arthur Brown, and Kevin Pierre-Lewis. That's the whole linebacking core. Uh, I think we have one more. We have one more guy. I can look it up. Just give me a sec. Uh, and so it would be nice to add somebody, you know, in maybe the fourth round that could compete, come in, and give a spark. You know, KPL hasn't stepped up the way we hoped. Oh, man, don't forget about Dewey McDonald and Ronald Powell, I don't even know who these people. So, are. like I said, <laughs> these guys are these guys are on our roster, though. Uh, so, you know, if one of those compensatory picks or something gets thrown in on a guy, eh, I want to use those. We can trade compensatory picks now. This is like my That's new true. It's my new favorite thing. But like, a, like I would if we've spent a fifth round pick on a guy who seemed like a promising young linebacker. Another, how would you feel about that? Another, uh, good. Another thing about getting Jocko for one year, I just want to go back to and getting Eddie Lacy for one year, and all these one year people are saying. Why are we signing all these guys to one-year contracts? Two reasons. One, if they do good, if they overperform and they leave, that's fine. We get third-round draft picks for they them. They can be traded. <clears throat> we get third-round draft picks, and they're tradable picks now. It's not like just, oh, you get this end-of-the-third-round compensatory pick, and you have a bunch of them, and you're the Ravens. That's how the Ravens have built their franchise, yep. uh, is they just get all these compensatory picks. Well, now you get all these compensatory ticks, picks, and you can use them to move around in the draft. And so... If the Seahawks, like let's say Eddie Lacy burns it up this year, 1,600 yards, 15 touchdowns, he has a career year, and we are not going to pay him $12 million a year. That's ludicrous. So he leaves. Oh, well, we get a third-round pick for nothing. We didn't do anything. We didn't have to do anything. We signed a guy for a year. He was great, and now he's gone. If Luke Jokel turns out to be a great offensive tackle and we just can't find it in the budget to re-sign him, oh, that sucks. You know, we can't do it. But we get a third-round pick. You know, it's like these, these things are fine. Well, and if we sign him and pick up, you know, Robinson or Ramsick or Bowles and put him at right tackle for the first year. Then he could leave. We get a third round pick. We boot the rookie over to left tackle and pick up, you know, you could get right tackles in the second, third, fourth round. Yeah. Like that compensatory pick for Jokel could turn into the right tackle in the future. And, uh, and the, the last thing here is that, uh, this is, this is how you end up building a really good franchise. Is to see how, Eddie Lacy said, I got equal offers from the Vikings and I got equal offer from the Packers. All three teams were willing to give me th- at least this much money, but I picked the Seahawks. And when you become that desirable free, ag- free agent destination, either because you have a great culture like the Seahawks, a great team culture, or you are living in a really good place like Miami, okay? <laughs> like you yeah. become that great free agent destination, right? You people want to go here. There's no sales to, or there's no income tax in Washington too. So when you come to Seattle, you make a little extra money, right? You, you don't get your income tax. You get to practice by a lake, people like that. So that's how you build out your franchise though. You, you get those guys to come in that maybe wouldn't have been able, maybe wouldn't have before. Like it used to be hard to get people to come out here. And now it's, it's kind of easy. Eddie Lacey says, I choose Seattle over the frozen tundra. Of the North, you know, and that's, that's great for us. And that, that, those compensatory picks, all those things, they add up. It's all these little things that are adding up to why the Seahawks year after year are competing for division titles. And that's, we're always building for the future. It's not, it's not a let's buy in one year idea. It's always with the future in mind. And that's frustrating when you look at the offensive line of last year, because it's like these guys are going to grow. And it's like, well, make sure we have that window. And I, you got to credit Pete Carroll and John Schneider that they, are always trying to keep that window open a little longer. But 
I, I guess, Kevin, I want to fire this question to you. As far as our offensive line goes, let's say we take a tackle in the first two rounds. Are we going to cut one of the guys, one of our offensive linemen now? Bradley Soul will not be on our roster next year. Bradley Soul is already not on the roster. But, I mean, I have a feeling they're, they're going to bring him back for training camp to compete. You don't think that? You don't think so? No. I don't know. What about have so, to be competitive for that? Do you think Fant hits like the practice squad? Do you think that we keep Glowinski for depth if he's a guy that is, you know, edged out? Or do you think that, you know, I, we're going to be accumulating, I'm guessing, three offensive linemen well, in right the draft. Well, right now we have... George Fant is on our active depth chart next year. I'll eat a habanero pepper on this podcast in front of everyone, the whole thing, seeds and everything. I don't care. He's There's no way he starts the season on the roster. He should. He might be on the practice squad, but if he's on the active roster day one, like 10 guys got hurt, and I'm going to want to eat a pepper anyway <laughs> to, to forget the pain. I think the other one is Odiombo. Odiombo is, which is not good when you're in year two with a third-round pick, and that third-round pick might be gone. That's bad because yeah, that would be another one because uh, Poole. It's another just Poole was a fourth-round pick. And that pick just went away after a year. And I could see that with Odiambo because Odiambo didn't look like he could hang at tackle or guard. Granted, he was coming off injury. But right now we have for sure three guards in Jokel, Glowinski, and um, Abushi. And we have two tackles in... Uh, Sorry, yeah, sorry. We have uh, Glowinski, um, Afedi, and Obushi at guard. We have Jokel and Gilliam at tackle. And going in with Gilliam as your third tackle is not a bad situation. So I'd agree with that. I, I'm honestly, if I don't know improve, where Odiambo fits unless he's taking some snaps at center. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where he fits either. He just we signed so many guys who can play guard at a really high level. In it's, addition to the fact that, I mean, unless all those guys end up in tackle at tackle. If Abushi and Jockel end up being pure tackles for us, then I guess that's where that's where he fits. Is he's the backup guard still? This is the right. likely best case scenario for us, though. Like we thought, it'd be great if we drafted, you know, guard, the tackle of the future. If we signed like the best tackle, but we knew that wasn't going to happen. This is best case scenario is a little optimistic, Eric. I think this is the poo poo platter deluxe. You don't think so? I think that this is exactly what they wanted to do, and we were hoping they would at least bring in plus bodies. As well as random bodies. This is like having five number three pitchers. Yeah, it's. It, I would. Say I'd agree with that. Yeah, I would. I don't think that's a poopoo platter. I think that is it's, the best case scenario for what they were going to like give us. The Chinese pork is on there. You think it's okay? You got the spring roll, and it's it's all right. You well, know, maybe it was a little wet. There's all these things on the here sweet and sour chicken is is better than average though. Yeah, it's like it's like they're all okay. Yeah, but it's white rice fried but, rice. But none of these things are good. And when you have them all together, like yeah, it's a little better than the sum of the parts, but not a lot. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know I just think that this isn't the best case scenario for what I want I'm saying for what we thought we were going to get I'm a little more optimistic I than I was there was a day where I thought ago. we were getting TJ Lang though I think Man, we I are that one quality player short of where I'm looking to be Yeah, and so if we can sign a dude which right now it's basically uh, Ryan Clady or Ryan Clady and Ryan Clady is really interested in being a Seahawk, but I'm not sure the Seahawks are really real interested in being a Ryan Clady. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he probably wants, what, $8 million? Uh, I think less. I think he would take five, to be honest with you. He need, he's going to get a show-me contract from someone. And here's the thing. If he gets a five-mil show-me contract, or if uh, Kelvin Beecham gets a, a, a three-and-a-half, four-million-dollar show-me contract, we can cut them if a rookie comes in and outplays him. 
Or, you know, I guess they're going to be our swing tackle for a year, and that's fine, too. Okay, Kevin, do you think we're going to get Ryan Clady? All right, oh, let me let me say this. If we get Ryan Clady or if we draft a tackle in the first two rounds, is that the player that you say we're one good player away? I think it could be. I think there are those guys. Okay. Like, for instance, uh, Ramchek, the offensive tackle from Wisconsin, that Excellent. guy is stone solid yeah. across the board. He's just good. Like stone I watched, cold. Him, I watched him set, some uh, highlight tapes of him, and I just thought this guy's just really good at football. Like I would be surprised if he wasn't a league average player. Yeah, he is the human equivalent of a motorcycle taking down a helicopter. No. Stone cold, He's not lock that, not average, that, not that good. And he has upside too. Okay. Um, Garrett Bowles is interesting. He's a 25 year old because he came in late, and. I looked at Sorry, that. I really don't want to deep dive on this now. I, 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 yeah. I'm starting to. I'm, I'm rambling. But I, there's there's arguments to be made about different players. But I think I think Britt can be the veteran side of that one good lineman argument. And I think that the rookie tackles can bring up the overall talent level. Like, if we pick one of those players to play offensive tackle one of those guys going in the first, maybe the second, probably the first, then we're looking at maybe the 18th to 20th ranked offensive line. Like maybe 20th to 24th in pass protection and like right around 12th to 15th in run. That's a jump. That's a huge jump. That's about 10 spots in each. And that's significant. Okay, one more slightly Seahawks-related thing. Uh, Marquette King went... <laughs> The punter for the uh, for the uh, Oakland Raiders, uh, also known as just the only black punter, if you were curious, if you needed to think about who it was, he went up to the power lines where Lynch threw his cleats and got him down, or at least he, or at least he staged a photo <laughs> where it looks like he's doing that. I was going to say, don't tell me those cleats are still there. Which that, that that is hilarious to me. All right, let's go through some NFL news. Let's lose that to transition to another former Oakland Raider, Latavius Murray, signed with the uh, new, uh, Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, um, this is the. Probably biggest or second biggest free agent signing last week, which shows that it was a flurry of action at the start, and we are now at the uh, we are in the dregs. Yep, Tavius Murray. I think he's not very good. I think he's a solid complimentary back. He is worse than Adrian Peterson is right now. Just lock that one up. How about that? Adrian Peterson still a free agent. Still he's a decent pass catching option. He's unemployed. He's tall. Adrian Peterson unemployed. All right, <laughs> Patriots did it again. They said to Dante Hightower, you know what? Go look around. Here's our offer. Go look around. See if you can beat it. And he couldn't. And they got him back for like $10 million a year. And I just can't believe that this happened. Like it just, It's just unbelievable to me how good they are. They read the market perfectly. Because that kind of thing can backfire so bad on you. And they just, didn't, they just didn't happen. Like, They're the opposite of the Bears. Like every <laughs> year you hear the Bears like, oh, what? Uh, why did the Bears sign Mike Glennon for fifteen million a year? Oh, turns out they were just betting against. They were bidding against themselves. You know, the Patriots are the opposite. Yeah, they did a great job just reading the market on that and saying like, hey, no, not everyone wants a linebacker that much, and we're going to get this great player for our system back at a reasonable price. And I, I thought that was a really good job by them, of course. So um, another great Patriots nugget that came out this week. Bill Belichick has done a trade with 30 of the 31 other teams in the league. The team he has not done a trade with? Anyone? Got it? Go Is ahead. it the Seahawks? No. What did we trade? Kevin, you know? Um, oh, gosh. Is it a really good team or a really bad team? Well, 
It's a really spiteful team. It's a really spiteful team? It's Dallas? The Jets. The Jets, okay. Jets. Yeah. <laughs> that makes more sense. It's so funny. Well, that to makes me. sense. It's so funny to me. Oh, well, speaking of Jets, I'll not trade with the Jets. Oh, God. You got Jets picked up, Jets picked up a McCown and it wasn't Randy. Yeah, it was uh, Luke. It was, uh, no, it was, uh, Cade. Yeah. It's gotta be Luke. It's gotta be Luke. Luke's <laughs> no. the one that's still in the NFL. No, it was the Browns McCown. That's, that's Luke. No, Luke McCown's the backup for New Orleans. Uh, I'm gonna Google this. Or right? am I backwards on my McCowns? I, I might have my I McCowns you backwards. Uh, Kay McCown is out of the NFL. Wait, so isn't got- Josh McCown? Josh. 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 That's I thought the Kate. God, there's so many. Mc- no, that Kate is McNown. Yeah, you're thinking McNown, the UCLA quarterback that was like five nine. Josh is on the Jets. Cade is must be out of the NFL. Yeah, and Luke is uh, still backing up New Orleans. I and think. Randy is. I don't even know what he's doing. Look up Randy McCown. He played for the Texas. U.S. The real person. L. Rancho Cucamonga Earthquakes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, oh, uh, yeah, Luke McCown. Luke McCown is on the Saints right now. I told you. Wow. He Remember, he was doing commercials still, last year, man. He must, he's, he must he's never get to play. Yeah, that's what a great job. Uh, backing up Drew Brees must be awesome. Oh, hey, speaking of the Saints, they signed Manti Teo. Yeah, that's I uh, setting up these great transitions. That's, that's, that's weird because that's the team his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend plays for. <laughs> oh, You wouldn't know her. She doesn't live in this area. Um, anyway. He only dates girls from the Niagara Falls area. Dontari Poe signed like a show me contract with the Falcons. I think that's a good signing for them. They need some beef. It's it's a good signing if he's the real Dontari Poe. Hey, when's the Falcons gonna lose a running back in this this offseason? Nope. It's um They picked up two fullbacks though. That's the thing. One's Derek Coleman. They're not gonna Dontari Poe is not uh I don't know. He's just not I don't think he's serious about coming back for his back surgery. I don't want to bag on a guy that I've never met before. So you know what, Dontari Poe, I hope you make it. Uh I just oh, how a- about the Dolphins overspending on another player? They signed Kiko Alonso to a big uh, three-year extension after they gave their backup defensive end branch way too much money to play across from Cam Wake. Cool. Well, that's but, very Dolphins of them. It is super Dolphins of them. They just they keep overpaying. Keep plugging along. Uh, Raiders signed EJ Manuel to put back a quarterback. Oh. That's, uh, that's a decent backup. That's fine. Uh, oh. I have I have Nathan's favorite news. Darrell Revis is a free man. Is no. That, was that it? Because that's true. No, but Darrell Revis might be coming back to New England. What? There's Durrell Revis to New England rumors. I mean, I believe it. Because Durrell Revis, I mean, now that the legal issues are all, like, uh, you know, behind him. Wait, is he off? Is he on bail? Or did he no, get no, his like charges cleared, dropped? They cleared of all charges. It. Oh, wow. I would have. I would kick the tires on Durrell Revis for a million dollars a year just I to would've... watch Sherman light him up every week and just, like, make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> you're, the, so, you're the second best cornerback on this team. I will say this. It would find all the motivation or break his will in training camp. I watched I watched some Revis tape because I thought like, hey, I should do this if I I'm going to make jokes about signing him or oh, talk about so signing bad. him. I should watch it. He looked slow last year. I don't know any other word to put it. He looked slow, like he's out of shape. He like moved he like to, an island. Like he needs to trip. Like he needs to hit the treadmill or something. For real, his reaction time was off too. It wasn't that he was just slow. He was mentally not. As sharp, he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Running Man, he like, he like Jim Dan- Brown. In he looked like Man. Dynamo in Running Man. <laughs> um, uh, so Rams no. got Connor Barwin. Nope, like, still not your favorite news, though. That's an interesting signing. Yeah, I, I do think that is interesting. Like, do they need another pass rusher though? Like, what a what a huge waste of money, in my opinion. I well, thought Jeff lost, Fisher was uh, gone. <laughs> they lost um, Haynes. Haynes went and signed with. They, so now they only have three good defensive ends. Like, I don't know. It just seems. Well, that's three more good players than they have in the other position. I don't know. It's stupid. It's like, why 
Why would you try to keep signing guys that are all play the same position? The Buccaneers signed place kicker Nick Folk because they got to compete with their third round pick, who, uh, according to the GM, did not have a good showing last year. I gotta be honest, wasn't he a second round pick? Was it Guayo? No, it was a third round pick, but they traded up for it. Yeah. That's... They traded up in the third round to pick a kicker, and now they signed Nick Folk, who's our actual legitimate NFL kicker. All right. Uh, you ready for one last uh, interesting thing? Okay. Uh, if Leonard Fournette gets chosen eight in the dra- eighth in the draft, as he's being mocked in a lot of drafts now, is rising into the top ten, he will be the ninth, ha- ninth highest paid running back in the league. <laughs> That's. I think that just shows, like, people have realized you can just kind of there's like a few running backs who are worth the money, and then all the other ones, it's just, they're just all kind of the same. They're yeah. like it's the the gradient is like not big enough. You know, there's not a big enough difference between uh, running back ten and running back thirty. It's just not a big enough difference. What you're trying to do is assemble a set of skills. Yep, and you can do it with like four different guys if you need to. Actually, this is kind of why I like the Eddie Lacy signing so much for us because I mean he has every down back potential, and if he's not good, I mean we can just throw him out there on goal line sets and turn him into a bowling ball you know it's it's not even though i do think he's kind of a, not a tough runner <laughs> like that i think that's actually like his biggest weakness. just fall forward Eddie. no but we have some road graders on the offensive line now and if he gets behind that i mean he'll he's a smart enough runner he'll pick up yards if yards are there all right kevin is just is this the is your is your my your prediction of my favorite story that the fbi got tom brady's jersey back <laughs> no my my prediction was that you'd love the fact that the buccaneers signed a kicker Oh yeah, they did. They sure did because Roberto Aguayo sucks. So they had to go. <laughs> they had to actually go sign a kicker to uh, to deal with that. Good job by them. Way to go. Because if there's <laughs> one thing that uh, if there's one if there's two things that Nathan likes, it's kicking a team while they're down and kicker related news. Yes. Nick Folk, man, that's that's who they signed, right? Nick Folk is the person. If you're listening, wow, I, I can't believe I got that off the top of my head without really. Uh, Listening to me say it four times on the podcast already. All right. So anyway, let's <laughs> let's get out of the NFL news because it was a slow week. Uh, so if you would like to uh, support the podcast, uh, t- find a friend that doesn't listen to podcasts. Maybe they listen to like an old beat up AM radio, and they're you know talking to Softy in the middle of the day. Nah, Softy's not in the middle of the day anymore. Now, they're talking. They're listening to John Clayton in the middle Iron of the day. Ian Furness. Ian Furness, and then you're just like can't well, take it. it looks anymore. like a goose. You think they should curate their content? You think they should pick something new? Well, show them how to listen to a, a podcast and have them try our podcast. And if you do, post about it on Twitter with the hashtag TryPod. Um, that's it. That's hashtag T-R-Y-P-O-D. And uh, yeah, and then also you can support us at patreon.com slash SeahawksNest or give us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, that actually helps a lot more than you think. It gets us trending in the, in the sports and entertainment stuff. And then we actually show up faster when people search for Seahawks and stuff like that. So... Thanks for your guys' support. We actually, you know, actually there's been momentum in this, so I'm just kind of repeating the same stuff over and over, hoping more people will do it. Yep, that's it. Anything you want to add, Kevin? No, looking forward to this movie. All right, you want to talk about a movie. Let's talk about a movie that, uh, how, how do I, how do I, how do I begin to, to describe what we are going to be talking about. Are well, you are you deciding on a movie right now? Is that what you're doing? I I maybe want to change from my original plan. Is it uh, is it a movie Kevin and I have both watched? Uh well I wasn't sure. That's kinda why I'm moving uh, away from the the old one. So, usually kinda you kinda kick the tires before you, before we record. Right, well let's just go with this then. Let's talk about a movie that um a movie about Sting's best friend. 
Wow. Another Paul Verhoeven classic. I wanted to, I wanted to go with the 80s action movie this week, really bad. And so let's talk about a movie starring Sting's best friend. <laughs> Wait, is that why you watch Running Man? I, okay, <laughs> we'll go back to this at the end. We, let's, we'll talk about, let's talk about Robocop. Excellent choice. Let's talk about Robocop. Let's talk about Robocop. Okay, here's, here's an Irish I, cop, Rob O'Cop. Here's what, I, here's what I love about Robocop. Okay, is the violence in this movie is horrifying. Oh man, it's so, over the, it's beyond over the top. It would not go in today's theaters. But the fact of the matter is, the violence is so crazy, but it's like winking at you. It's like Paul Roman's like, hey guys, check this out. I they have I, everything except for the drive-in totals. I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta something for you. And they just wink, wink. Like the, the scene where at the, when they're in the boardroom and that robot just <laughs> lights everyone up. No, wait, that is the first, that's one of the earliest scenes in the movie. That's like the, the goriest scene, the first gory scene in the movie, right? Yeah, right. That's also the scene that they're riffing on in Dogma. I mean, it's insane how gory that scene is. So that robot is like murdering people. Yeah, so Ed, Ed two hundred nine just uh, turns that guy into hamburger. It's my. That's the most interesting part about the movie is it is all of the eighties action movie violence, but it does not hold back on just what that would really look like. Like at first, you're like. Wow, look at that scene. And then by the end of it, you're just in like, oh my lord. I'm trying to think. And I think that's very much on purpose and what he's going for. There's that. There's the guy's uh, kneecaps getting shot off. Uh, there's, of course, uh, Peter Weller's character uh, before he is RoboCop uh, getting just you yeah, know tortured with a gun. There's, <laughs> there's my favorite scene, uh, the would-be rapist getting shot in... Uh, in the Weenus. Uh, the Johnson. In the Johnson, yeah, in his wee-wee. Uh, there's that. There's, of course, Kevin, the the scene where, uh, you know, the guy falls in the toxic waste and then gets hit by a car. <laughs> that's, that's, that was that's one of my favorites. One. And that's just, those are the ones that are coming to me right now. They just I mean, wanted to make sure you didn't think he was going to become the one, Joker. One of, my favorite <laughs> thing, one of my favorite things about this movie is Kurtwood, Kurtwood Smith as the, like, the bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's Spodaker. for those that don't remember. That is a uh, that's the dad from that seventy yeah, show. Red on that seventy show. Yes, he's just he's and he's just, so good. He's so good in this movie. He's smarmy. He's evil. Yeah, he's so good as the bad guy. And yeah, there's so much there's so much murder in this movie. Uh, we've already done a Paul, Paul Verhoeven movie. Uh, we did uh, Total Recall. Yes. So we talked about how his movies usually have like a uh, like a s- subversive message. So uh, what do you guys? Well, I, I can tell you what I think, but what do you guys think the like the what do you think he was trying to say with this with this one? Well, I think the first statement he was trying to make is the one that we already talked about, which is that he was trying to make the statement, yeah, yeah, you like all this eighties action violence. Yeah, here's what it looks like. Yeah. Digest that. I mean, it originally got an X rating. He had to scale it back. So do you want to yeah, hear this the, is a scaled back oh, version? Do you want to hear the the um so the boardroom scene got scaled back. Bobby getting shot in the leg got scaled back. Boddicker's gang's execution of Murphy got scaled back. The final battle where uh, Robocap stout, stabs him with the neural spike in the neck and his blood splatters out. <laughs> uh, that got scaled back a little bit. Um, he tried to... he uh, They didn't... You know those like uh, commercials in the news broadcasts in the, in the movie yes. that are like kind of funny? Yes. He added those to lighten the mood so that he wouldn't get an X rating. <laughs> Isn't really, that, that was supposed to be more grim, even more grim than the movie art. I was going to say those are those are kind of funny, but they're those are grim commercials. You know, they're yeah. joking about nuclear holocaust during the Cold War, towards the end of the Cold War. Yes, yeah, it was. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I feel like this movie was tongue in cheek, but it took itself serious enough that, you know, it's not, it's not looked at as a silly movie outside of a, a, a robot man. I yeah. think obviously the secondary message is, um, having a totalitarian police state. Right. The police state stuff is for sure. And one thing he said that, he said that the original X-rated cut of the movie, actually the violence is even more comical. So that it it actually takes it down a notch, like you take it less, even less seriously. Like it's too gory because it's just like it's like that scene in Kill Bill, right? Where like she just chopped people's heads off and there's just blood flying all over the place, and you're just like it kind of like you're just like okay, this is stupid. You're desensitized like, immediately. Like you just like he. That's what he wanted it to be like, but the MPAA was like, nah, dog, <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> you so, gotta wait twenty more years. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I I feel like the, this movie you said. uh uh, Clarence Boddicker, uh, is, you know, the villain. There's, there's a few villains in this movie. You know, uh, Boddicker takes out one of the corporate villains at the behest of the main villain, uh, Dick. Dick Smith, is that his name? The, the old white man running the corporation. Dick Honeycutt? I don't the, know. the guy who wants to, to take the corporation for the other old white guy. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's that whole, you know, there's, there's always someone at the top. That you, you know, you have to get rid of. And everyone else is kind of the pawn is the other pawn. Yeah, and the pawn is the pawn, and who's the real bad guy? Well, because it's basically like a mob movie in a corporation. Yes. Which I also think is on purpose. Also, yeah. the corporate the corporate uh, element is definitely huge here. Like, the how are corporations going to take care of us, or will they take care of us at all, or will they just rule us with, like, an iron fist, you know? I, There's I, definitely, like, elements of that in this movie. I felt the corporate element was bigger than the totalitarian police state, because... It became like the militarized police. And, you know, when corporations take over, they get their say, they get to do whatever they want. They can control the cops. You know, at, at some point, Robocop cannot kill someone that is, uh, that he is like his boss. He can't, he can't attack anyone in this company. It's like a, you know, a program that's been written into his system. What do you guys think about the idea that like this guy died, right? He's dead, but now he's like revived. And he's RoboCop, but he's like, like this idea that like, is there's there, still some Murphy. In yeah, there. is there like some residual humanity left in you? Like, can you ever take away what makes you like truly human? I think that's like a a theme of the film as well. Like the film is like trying to toy with the idea of like the what ma- what makes you really human? You know, like and like can you take away? Can you strip someone of their humanity? You know, like that idea. Well, and there's a secondary piece where it's like, here's a person who's been literally stripped of his humanity, but by the end of the movie, you feel like he's more human than these corporate people who have kind of forsaken their humanity, and so that's all in there. If you're looking for depth in a movie, you can find it in this movie, but I think that's kind of a trademark of his movies. Right. I mean, this movie won an Academy Award. Like, it's... For best boardroom uh, sound, sound editing. Oh. Uh, I just really wish they'd have done the Buddy Cop sequel with Sting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they remade Robocop. Uh, For those of you who don't know the joke we was... keep referring, just type in, in Google, type in YouTube Sting's friend Robocop yep. and just sit back and watch some late 80s wrestling magic. Uh, so there was, there was also like a sequels, animated series, like a bunch of spinoff stuff. Uh, I don't really understand how you make an animated series of RoboCop without just like losing everything that makes RoboCop interesting. That's that's what they did. I've watched the cartoon. They uh, 
they do lose all that. It was a pretty gritty cartoon, though, for Saturday morning. It dealt with drug dealers, and uh, Robocop would just shoot things that would fall on the people, but it, it wasn't like jokes. You know? It was like super dark G.I. Joe. Yes. Um, and then they, they remade Robocop with uh, like Samuel Jackson and uh, Joel Kinnaman and Gary Oldman and uh, Jackie O'Haley and a bunch of people. Uh, honestly, the movie is like super average. I don't recommend it. Um, I didn't watch it. It looked like it didn't have a soul. It it's it's like I saw it. In I don't know. Theater. I don't hate it at the two dollar theater. I don't like it either. It's just like if here we go. If you want to watch a movie while you have to do something else, watch the new RoboCop. That works. Like, that works. Put it on in the background while you're like uh, like filing papers or like you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, like don't. It's not. It's not interesting enough. To, if you just like solely are watching it, you know, there are better things you could do. So with your watch time. it like a baseball game is what I'm yes. hearing. They streamlined, you know, part of RoboCop, uh, what he could do, and I felt like the character development outside of RoboCop was totally empty in this movie, and that's that's why it's a it's a watch casually because you're not going to miss anything. The movie took no risks. Like the thing about the original RoboCop is like it's incredibly risky to make a movie like that right that's so over the top that's so insane right yeah, it could have turned a lot of people off there's plus the messages were really really there yeah and but i mean this robocop it's just like it's like robocop boring edition you know like the 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 one thing that stays is like what is he still a man or is he you know a machine you know like does he still love his family you know like all that weird you know that that element's kind of here but the the what makes a man thing, but the, everything else is it's gone. Solomon in his arms, uh, and Sorry. the the uh, <laughs> nice the, the whole the whole like over the top violence thing's gone too. It's just a it's a 2010s action movie where there no one ever bleeds, so they can make it PG thirteen, and uh, every it's just snap cut, snap cut, snap cut. So we never focus on the action. Yeah, just vanilla. So yeah, that that's uh. So that's, I, I was right. It doesn't have a soul. I'm I'm glad that you confirmed that for me. It makes me sad though because you the know because I like Joel Kinnaman. That's why it made me sad. The first one's good, and I mean, I I don't know the the guy who made Narcos made it like that. It should, should be good. <laughs> like Narcos is awesome, so I don't know. I think that there's just too many restrictions. You know, when you're trying to make it's Hollywood's trying to make these movies now where you you make like two hundred fifty million dollars. Like you can't and you can't hit a home run if it's rated R or if it's it's too. And we're seeing the, a little bit of a revolt against that. That's when you see a movie like Deadpool really succeed, or um, you know stuff like that. That's a little that's that's people pushing back on that. Or you see a movie really fail that you thought like, oh, that's an old school Hollywood movie that would have just crushed it. It's like, well, yeah, people are like, I don't think anyone's seeing Pirates of the Caribbean this summer. God, I hope not. <laughs> I'm and, so surprised they're still making that. And I mean, that's that's like that's the I think that movie is the perfect example of like the way people are revolting against these. Hollywood event movies that they keep just churning out. Yeah, there's so many. For a long time, they rested on a lot of these nothing movies. And I feel like over the last few years, we've started to break out of that. You've started seeing, hey, here's like an interesting musical. Or here's a movie that's just going to be hard R. And if you don't want a hard R, then don't go see it. Or, yeah, it was... You see... A lot more willingness to let a vision happen, which wasn't happening with these budgets. And I think that's part of the problem. When everything's high budget, everything ends up being formulaic. Very similar. All right, one more interesting RoboCop thing. You guys ready? Always. Uh, So Rob Botton, the special effects guy who did the thing, he's a pretty famous special effects guy. He, uh, 
he had a budget of a million dollars to make the RoboCop suit. Okay? So he said that, like, Verhoeven just kept changing it, kept changing it, wanted it to look like this, wanted it to look like this. He said that he wanted it to look speedy and aerodynamic, which, it, I mean, I guess it does, but it's, <laughs> with the way RoboCop moves... It 88 dynamic, I guess. Uh, so, uh, the, the way RoboCop moves, I don't feel like speedy is the word I would use. It looks like a DeLorean. Does and that then, and then it, This is his quote, though, about how it ended up. RoboCop looks the way he does because that's the way a man's body worked. Although he went through 50 different vari- variations developing his character, everything came back to man-like. It's definitely a guy in a suit, which doesn't, which doesn't, <laughs> and he says, which doesn't belittle it any. <laughs> so there, you, there you go. Uh, well, it's not like you can see the zipper in back or anything. You no, know? it's and also the the leg, the leg gun. Right, the leg holster was really cool. The original gun for RoboCop was supposed to be a Desert Eagle, but they decided it was too small, so they they modified a Breda ninety three R. Yes, <laughs> so they could have a gun that they felt like was big enough for RoboCop. That's awesome. Nope, that's it. Those are my that's my RoboCop stuff for you. Um, I I highly recommend it, the movie. I think it's great. Um, Every it's, time it's, someone says Desert Eagle, all I can think of is the scene from Snatch. Snatch, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, well, says, that's it. Uh, I wanted to do '80s action. I watched The Running Man, thinking that that's the movie we were going to talk about, and I'm just going to do my one minute rant right here. The Running Man sucks. None of the villains are very menacing. I don't understand why. The, I don't understand why this movie even got made. And the director is the same guy that directed Kazam, which explains a lot. Okay. Ooh. I'm going to follow up your rant with a few things. Uh, number one. There's a lot of one-liners. In this uh, movie. I already know you're Watch this movie slightly tipsy with friends, because that's the only good way to watch this movie. I mean, I was texting Kevin the whole time, like, just trashing the movie. like Which made it better for you, didn't it? <laughs> oh, I mean, it was the only thing that saved it. I was like, exactly. why, did, I was like why does Jim Brown look like budget-rate David Allen Greer in this movie? <laughs> like, I don't understand what is going on right now. And like Arnold, he's not that buff. So I in this movie, like he's he's built. You know, he's he's friggin' Arnold. Right? He's he's, he's big. He's not, he's not like steroid. He's Arnold, in a bodysuit, like crazy buff. And so I think they picked like intentionally like fat villains so that he would like look more menacing. I just love that it has Richard Dawson from the Family Feud. Oh my god! Yeah, but he's like the best part of the movie. The other thing about this is this is based on a Stephen King novel, The Running Man. Um, it was one of his Bachman books. I forgot books. about that, Kevin. This is one of my all-time favorite books. The book is massively different from the movie. Yeah, the, the, like I, could not be much more different. I have read the book, and I'm not. I this and, was, this is the second time I'd watched the movie, but I didn't remember most of it. The movie they will never make this movie right because you can't film the end of this movie. No, I uh, no. But do yourself a favor. Like this is like a 400-page book. If you're a reader, like, I burned through this in a day and a half the first time I read it just because it's such a page-turner. It's a quick one. It's a great dystopian, like, there's some dark stuff. So the game show thing exists, but it gets pulled off differently. And it's very different. Like, I mean, he has, like, a head start, and he can run, like, basically, it seems like he can run basically anywhere. Well, he's in public. Yeah. And anyone can hunt after him. Right. And it's really, really interesting and cool. But the other thing is, they talk about all these other game shows. Like, there's this one, like, Treading for Dollars. And Which so, they tried to show in the movie. They have a commercial where <laughs> that commercial where the dog is like it's like climbing for dollars, and the dogs are like biting the guy's yeah. legs. And stuff. Yeah, but it's even darker in the book. It's like um, they take people with heart disease and hook them up to the monitors and stuff, and see if if they can push them far enough to like mm. like the closer you are to death, the more money you win. That is and horrific. stuff like that. Yeah. It's so bad. Yeah. Um. So 
Yeah, the original director of let's. I mean, let's do it. Let's do the stuff I had prepared for any man. The original, the original director, uh, the guy who directed Above the Law and Under Siege <laughs> and a, a bunch of other great action movies. Steven he, Seagal wasn't in the running. He had to. He had to leave. He got fired one week before. And Arnold Arnold says it's a terrible decision, and that that's the reason this movie's not that good. One weird thing for me. One reason. One thing that I the scene that I remembered the best from the whole movie that I had the most like deja vu the about. Helicopter? No, it was the scene where they're trying to go through the airport, and he's in that stupid Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> yes. For some reason, I was just like, I remember this so because well. Because that is so out of place, and it's reminiscent of the scene where he, uh, where Arnold is the fat lady in Total Recall. There's some weird Total Recall-esque stuff it's, in that it's movie. It's almost like uh, like the settings and the way the camera angles are, are shot in crowds. It's yeah, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, by the way, was a terrible cast for this movie. I mean, I thought he did the best job that he possibly could with it. And well, what I, they did I was they turned Arnold. it into an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And so for that reason, you can't see anyone else being cast there. But by casting him, they made it an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie yeah. instead of a Running Man movie. Yeah. Um, I like Yafit Koto as like the, uh, the, the, one of the guys that he's like in the Running Man with. Yes. Uh, he's, Yafit Koto is uh, really good in this movie. Trying uh, to hack the terminal. Great. Like, no, that's the, that's, that's someone else. That's yeah, but a, he's one of the guys. Yeah, yeah. Yafet Koto's the other, like the, he's the guy from, I don't know, everything. He's like an old school character actor. That's kind of <laughs> why I like him. Uh, he looks really bad in the body he's suit. He's in Midnight Run. He, I don't know. He's in a bunch of stuff. Okay, and then, uh, yeah. So this movie though, I just like, I don't know. It has a sixty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which I like just don't understand at all. It's I tried. It's stupid 80s, and man. fun. Yeah, and it's, I'm sure like Cisco and or Ebert were like. One of those guys is like, this is good fun and no one cares. Like, I can think of three good things about this movie. Sub-Zero. Okay? Richard Dawson was great as the villain. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Zero. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger said a bunch of really stupid lines. And the really, female, really and I, I thought the female lead was really good looking, especially for a, a woman in an 80s movie. Because usually I watch 80s movies and I'm like, man, her hair is terrible. Like, why is it so frizzy? You or, know, man, I, this is a really skinny white chick with no butt. Yeah. But the, but I, I was like, I was like, this is, this, she's, she's all right. Yeah. Good job, she Arnold. She actually looks like a person Arnold, you're who exists. A, you're pining after a person who's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. The, the world building in this movie is actually not that bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shockingly, no. Which, which like, you know, where they like have him in the jail and the guy's head explodes and stuff. It really builds up like, oh, this is, this is a bad place, you know? Though, I mean, partially they just ripped off the world building from, uh, Escape from LA. This movie it basically came true. <laughs> and, the, okay, here's the reason I watched That's it. That's partially true. Is it, it, it's set in 2017, the movie. So I was like, oh, 2017, it's perfect. But the movie was so bad, I didn't want to talk about it for 30 minutes. I'm glad we talked about it for five. And I think that's that feels about, like the right amount. I think that's about all I can take. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. So if you want to see Jim Brown look terrible and uh, Jesse Ventura be on steroids, check out The Running Man, nineteen eighty seven. <laughs> if you want to watch an actually good movie, watch RoboCop. Anything Much else you guys movie. want to say before we get out of here? I think that's it, man. All right. Well, sorry. Love letters, mail bombs. Uh, if you whatever you want to send us, credit card numbers. Only mail bombs if se- it's the song by the Circle Jerks. Send them to podcast at fromthehawksmess dot com. Or send it to at Seahawks Nest or find us on Facebook and message them to us. Uh, that's facebook.com slash Seahawks Nest. I'm not sure. I'd, I'll look it up some other time. <laughs> for Kevin Garver, for Eric Ronovac, I'm Nathan Santo, and we'll see you next week. Go Hawks! Clean zero! Clean zero.